Good morning. I'll be reading from God's word for us this morning. And now my phone's decided not to play ball. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yes, they are. So the reading this morning is from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Please feel free to follow along in your own Bibles or on your devices if they're going to work for you. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. microphone on I do excellent morning everyone my name is Mark if we haven't met I'm one of the the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury Stephen our senior pastor isn't here this week he's actually offered another one of our network churches uh, preaching for them which is great um special welcome to all of the grandparents and grandchildren who are here for grandparents Sunday um hope you enjoy your time with us hope you enjoy a cup of coffee and some morning tea afterwards and get a get a good photo at the photo booth um, I'm quite a few years off becoming a grandparent myself, which, which I hope is, is evident. Um, it's not, not a stage of life that I've given a whole lot of thought to just yet, though. Um, as having, having a little boy, I've, I've come to appreciate grandparents in a whole new light, being a parent in a way that I didn't quite appreciate before I became a parent. Um, in fact, I was actually able to write this talk in, in relative peace because my mother, my, yes, my mother-in-law, my, my boy's grandma, was actually at our place looking after Rory, which made it, made it a whole lot easier. Um, grandparents are an amazing help given just how much you have to think about and do as parents. Like I, I feel like we've barely got Rory, our little boy, home from hospital, the, the maternity ward, and we're, we're already having to, to think about things like what school are we going to send him to? Like that, that's a, a big question on our minds right now. Like, how do you how do you decide what school to send your kids to? Um, now, there's probably a few factors behind a question like that, aren't there? It's convenience is going to be a factor. You, you want to send them to a school that's hopefully pretty close to your house. Uh, maybe hopefully the school offers the right programs or, or plays the right sports or holds the same sort of values that you do. Uh, I reckon there's another big factor for a question like that, though, which, which is, what are the kids like who are at that school already? Are they well-behaved? Are they doing well academically? Is this school producing the sort of students um, that I want my child to be around and who I want my child to be like? Now, I remember when I was in primary school, uh, our year three teacher would always 
when we got, went out on excursions, she was this really, just remember her being this really, really old lady. She's probably about 45 or something. Um, but, but when we, when we went on excursions, she'd always tell us, oh, now you've got to be, you kids have got to behave really well or you're going to give the school a bad name. You're going to give the school a bad name. I didn't, I didn't even know what she meant by that. I think she may have overestimated how much eight-year-olds care about the reputation of the school. Um, but the reason I mention this is that it can be similar when we look at God, Christianity, and the church, can't it? Um, if we're considering whether or not God is worth believing in, we're naturally going to look at people who already do believe in him. Uh, we're going to ask ourselves, do I want what they've got? Do I want to be like them? How's believing in God working out? in their lives. And that's the topic that we're going to be looking at this morning. What would make God worth believing in? Well, maybe if Christians were better people. Uh, maybe you're here this morning because this is a barrier for you in taking Christianity more seriously. Uh, in a few moments, we're, we're going to dive into the Bible passage that we've, that we've just had read. But, but firstly, I want to frame it by showing us who it is that Jesus has called his church, and his people to be. Uh, So this is what Jesus says to his disciples in his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. He tells them, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, So in other words, your your lives ought to be a light that that points people to how great God is, Uh, which of course means being loving. Jesus says these words to his disciples as well. Everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the disciples who was there when Jesus said these words was was a guy called Peter. Uh, Now, a few years later, Peter wrote a letter to to other Christians, which we also find in the Bible, really urging them to to live such good lives um, that people who see their behavior would want to follow Jesus as well. Um, So there's no doubt that the church is called to be something amazing. And at times, the church has done a pretty good job of honoring God in this way. Uh, So in the Bible, we see the early church caring for the poor, uh, being generous to one another, and and having a good reputation with the world around them. Uh, History tells us that the early Christians in the church were, were radical in their care for the poor and for the sick in a Roman society that didn't care at all for the marginalized. Uh, Also, that Christians in later years were influential in abolishing slavery and setting up aid organizations. Uh, Statistics today, certainly in America at least, show that Christians are less likely to commit crimes, more likely to volunteer, more likely to give blood, and, and more generous with their money. But if that was the end of the story, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. We wouldn't have to address this topic. Uh, The Bible is up front that right from the start, the church got things wrong. Uh, Perhaps this was evident most of all in the Corinthian church, uh, where we read that there there was conflict among the church, there were lawsuits, there was greed, and also that there was sexual immorality of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. So in other words, the Corinthian church was Definitely standing out, but not in a good way. They were leading the way in being immoral. And history confirms what the Bible prepares us for. 
as well, that, that in lots of ways, Christians have got it badly wrong. Uh, instead of being the light of the world, the church has too often been part of the problem. Uh, and perhaps this is personal for you. Perhaps you're here this morning and, and at some point you've been hurt by the church, uh, you've been let down by Christians, or, or you've just been severely underwhelmed at the track record of God's people over the last 2,000 years. Well, that brings us to our passage for this morning. It's a story that Jesus told about two very different men who went to a temple to pray to God. There was a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we're going to have a look at the Pharisee first. Uh, we, we heard in the reading that Debbie brought for us uh, that the Pharisee walked into the temple. He stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What we're supposed to see here is that Jesus cares deeply about character. He hates hypocrisy. See, on the, on the outside, this Pharisee is a, he's an impressive, super religious person who, who seems to be doing all the right things. But, but we can all see as we read this what a, what a proud, unkind heart he has. He's, he's thanking God for how good he is. And, and at the same time, he's insulting the, the poor tax collector who's in the temple alongside him. And notice right at the start who Jesus is telling this parable to. He's telling it to people who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. So Jesus is telling them, this, this is you. You're hypocrites. You might be saying all the right things about what you believe, but you're not living it out in your lives. If you were to pick up a Bible and, and read through any of the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, what, what you'd see is that this comes up time and time again. Jesus hates hypocrisy. And he calls it out whenever he sees it. So if you've been put off by people who go to church, who claim to be Christians, but who are arrogant and unloving toward other people, just know that Jesus feels the same way. And if you're disgusted by people throughout history, who um, perhaps in your own life as well, who have done awful things in the name of Christianity, well, Jesus... Is disgusted as well. Jesus, in this story, has ruffled a few feathers as, he, as he's talked about the Pharisee, but the, the real sting in the tail comes when he gets to the tax collector. Uh, we read that the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, he had every right to feel down about himself. Uh, tax collectors in that day, they were Jews who were basically paid by the Romans to extort money from other Jews. So, so they were traitors. People hated them. And notice the difference between the, the tax collector and the Pharisee in Jesus' story. The, the, the Pharisee, on the one hand, barges right into the temple. He, he walks right up to the front. He praises himself, and he doesn't seem to think he's got any need at all for God. On the other hand, the Pharisee, he approaches at a distance and, and he pleads with God for mercy. And who is God more happy with in all this? Well, we see it right at the end. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, that is the tax collector, 
rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. This is a really dramatic punchline. Jesus is telling these people who are confident in their own righteousness that the person in this story who is actually right with God is the person who is completely the opposite to them, the person that they would have looked down on. And the point here is that Jesus' true followers, they're not impressive, self-righteous people. They're broken, needy people who come to him. Uh, A few chapters earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus had been hanging out with some tax collectors and and some other people who would have been looked down on in that society, people that that weren't sort of righteous and doing the right thing. And some Pharisees and and other religious leaders were were looking at this and and they were saying, why on earth, Jesus, would you hang out with these types of people? And this was Jesus' reply. He said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So there you have it. Being a Christian is not about being a good person. It's actually about being a bad person. By which I mean recognizing how bad I am. Recognizing that I'm not good enough for God on my own strength. I don't live the way that he calls me to live. I'm not good enough to save myself. I need help. Jesus is saying that's what a true Christian looks like. Which means that on one level, we shouldn't be entirely surprised to find bad people following Jesus. In the same way that we we shouldn't be surprised to find sick people in a hospital. Um, A sick person in a hospital is someone who has gone to the right place. But then sick people go to hospital to to get better. Don't they? And in the same way, Jesus wants positive change in his people. He calls us to repent. In other words, to, to turn away from our sin. We don't just come to Jesus and think, oh, great, now that Jesus accepts me, I can keep being bad. Now, the Christian life is one of constantly turning from our bad ways. And we don't do it on our own. When we, when we put our trust in Jesus, God gives us his Holy Spirit, to change us from the inside, to make us more like Jesus. When someone starts following Jesus genuinely from the heart, it's a bit like buying a really old house and and renovating it. We've got three houses right across the road from us that are being built or renovated at the moment, so this is very much in my mind. Um, It's a slow process, clearing up the garden, putting new floors in, new kitchen, painting, rewiring. It takes a long time for that house to start looking any good. In fact, sometimes it feels like it's going backwards rather than forwards. You don't look at a a half-renovated house, do you, and think, my goodness, I want to live in that house. I know we've got a few people going through renos at the moment who are probably feeling that pain. Uh, But it's happening. And the point here is that the Christian who disappoints us or, or hurts us or who lets us down, it it might be that person is the self-righteous Pharisee who who hasn't truly grasped what it means to to live for God. Or it might be that they're the repentant tax collector who who has come to Jesus at rock bottom and, and still a major work in progress. The difference between the two is whether 
they're continually and humbly repenting of their sin and depending on God to change them. So there you go. We've got the the Pharisee and and the tax collector. But there's a bigger point to be made here, which is ultimately that it's not Christians who we ought to be looking at. It's not Christians who we ought to be looking at. It's Jesus. Being a Christian isn't about being like other Christians. It's about following Jesus and becoming more like him. See, unlike anyone else you ever meet, Jesus will never let you down. He is perfectly loving, merciful, compassionate, humble, sacrificial. Jesus came down from earth, sorry, from heaven to earth. He he shared in the mess of human life with us. He lived the perfect, sinless life. And then he laid down his life, dying on a cross to take our guilt on him so that we could be saved. And he was raised back to life and he did it all so that he could rescue sick, broken, hopeless people and bring us to God. There's no other way that anyone could be right with God except that Jesus came to save sinners. He came for the sick. And if I've trusted that Jesus died to save me from my sins, then I can come before God with confidence, not because I'm good enough, but because Jesus is. There's nothing in my past that's too shameful. There's there's no sin in my life now that's too severe that Jesus' death wasn't enough to cover. In one sense, in a a funny kind of way, the, the mess and the imperfection of the church throughout history right up to today, it's actually a great comfort because it highlights the incredible love and mercy of Jesus in calling broken, sinful people. Jesus doesn't just call the people who have got it all together. He calls all of us, even when we don't. It reminds us that God doesn't just accept us when we come to him in goodness and seek his praise. He accepts us when we come to Jesus in our badness and seek his healing. If you're here this morning and you're, you're wondering whether Jesus is worth following whether God is worth believing in, whether the church is worth being part of. We'd love to have you come along to our life series, which kicks off on Monday in eight days' time. Uh, It's five Monday nights that we'll spend looking at who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. There's food, there's drink, there's the chance to to ask any questions you want. You can come along, you can can take it all in, and, and you can decide for yourself whether life for Jesus is for you or not. I'd really encourage you, whatever decision you make about Jesus, to make the decision in light of who Jesus is, not in light of who the worst of his people are. If you reject every worldview that bad people believe in, well, it doesn't really leave you much at the end. Look at Jesus. Decide whether Jesus is someone you want to follow, someone you want to get to know better. Now, ironically, when we dismiss Christianity because of Christians who are intolerant, unloving, arrogant, we've actually, in Western society, been influenced by Jesus to think that way. Values like tolerance, equality, 
and compassion, these sort of values that we take for granted and hold fast to, these were completely foreign to the Roman culture that Jesus lived in and which the church was born into. They were completely foreign to every society. What changed this was a king who proclaimed and lived out these sort of countercultural values and called his people to do the same. Even atheist historians today will tell you that these sort of values, like equality and tolerance and compassion, they're not self-evident values at all. They didn't come about because people today are better educated. Our culture has been shaped by Jesus far more than we recognize. I think it's worth being upfront as well that while Jesus was the most inclusive, merciful, loving, compassionate person who ever lived, not everything he said was easy to hear. Jesus taught some really uncomfortable things about sin, sexuality, money, hell, um, things that are offensive, offensive truths, but told in love. And so in some cases, certainly not all cases, but, but in, in some cases, it could be that the person who you think of as being an unloving, hypocritical Christian is actually being faithful to the words of Jesus, even the most difficult words that Jesus spoke. Perhaps the question to ask a Christian whose, whose words or actions you disagree with is, is this. Are you being faithful to Jesus in what you're saying or doing? Show me in the Bible where you're getting this from. I'm sure that'll, that'll start an interesting conversation. I think the place to end on this topic, though, is, is not what the church looks like right now. It's, it's what the church is going to look like on that day when Jesus returns to rule. And the image that the Bible gives us is that the church on that last day is going to be like a bride prepared for her husband, Jesus. Uh, the church on that day will be perfect, washed clean of sin, unrecognizable from what we see today. God's people will be exactly who they were called to be. And, and if we could see that day with our own eyes, we would know without a shadow of a doubt that God is worth believing in. I realize a, a topic like this, it might be that you're, you're coming here this morning and there are, there are things in your life that have contributed to this being a, a big question for you or, or there are particular things that I won't have answered in the last 20 minutes or so. I'd love to catch up and chat if that's, if that's you. Feel free to come and grab me afterwards or my email address is on the website if, if you want to get in touch. love to, to chat more and just hear about um, what it is that, that makes this an issue for you or, or whether there are questions that you have on this topic. Um, we're going to finish in a moment. The, the Year 7 to 9s would normally go out for a discussion. They're actually going to stay in to, to be part of the grandparent stuff that we've got later on. But I'm going to lead us in prayer as we finish. God, we confess that your church has not reflected you as we ought. Uh, each one of us has let you down in this way. Uh, but we're so thankful that Jesus came not to call the righteous but to call sinners and lay down his life for us. We pray that you would fix our eyes on that day when he returns to make his church what it was always meant to be, to make us who we were always meant to be. And in the meantime, we pray that, that your people everywhere would be a light to the world, 
pointing people to the hope that we have in Jesus alone. Amen.